Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail. This is Jacob joining you as always. And I am joined again, remotely still, but but thankfully joined again by my fabulous co-host, Hannah Reffitt. Hannah, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. They We got snow where I am last night, so I'm looking out my window on... It's not a lot of snow, but it's some, so I'll take it. We how got a you? lot here too. I was... Uh, oh, yeah. I went on a long run yesterday in preparation for the fact that I wouldn't be able to run for a while. Um, so yeah, it's uh, really, we're in the thick of winter here, but but uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, both both uh, the end of winter and hopefully the end of, of the pandemic. So, so <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, so today we're going to be talking about if music, if classical music is getting faster and uh that seems like a very abstract question and actually i think there's a pretty objective answer in a way that it is but but maybe what more importantly what we're t- we're going to talk about is our kind of sense of why that might be actually happening and what effect that has on listeners that's how it relates to this podcast of course is how can we listen to uh tempo, which is the speed that music is played at, or a particular performer's choice of tempo, and how does that affect our experience. And I was keyed on to this topic by an article that, Hannah, you you forwarded to me. And can you just tell our listeners uh, a little bit about this this article that you found and, and what, it, what it was saying? Yeah, I mean, I found this article um, written by a writer at the Rolling Stones, I think Amy Wang. I have a, yeah, Amy Wang. And um, just about the question of if uh, Costco music is getting faster these days and um, that pop and rap aren't the only genres that are speeding up their, their tempo um, in the, in the uh, music streaming era that we're currently in. And it was really interesting to me in a fact where I have always sort of thought coming from more of a pop upbringing and being recently exposed to classical music, how much they influence each other in the music world and, um, based on trends. And obviously I've always been aware that, you know, pop music has sort of been on a tempo speed and finding this article was really interesting in the, in the fact that it sort of laid out very specifically that Bach, um, for example, has been, uh, speeding up, um, over the past, 50, 60 years. And in this article, I think hopefully we can post the article when we put up this episode that um, there's like recording times from 1961, 1978, and 2016. And to see the drop-offs between these three recordings made in these different decades is was just so eye-opening to me um, to see the fact that, yes, indeed, um, people's attention spans have been um, growing shorter. And I'm also very curious to talk to you, Jacob, as to like what this does to the genre of classical music. And artistic integrity is a big thing that is discussed in the world of symphonic orchestras, for example. And so I wonder, I wanted to talk to you about it. 
on this forum about, you know, artistic integrity and the changing of tempos of Bach, for example. Yeah, well, I think it's it's so interesting, this article that you sent me, because the phenomenon of tempos getting faster in the classical music world is one that I've certainly been aware of for for many, many years. I mean, it's I think it's common knowledge for most people who listen to a lot of recordings and stuff like that, that that the recordings from 50, 60 years ago are often way slower. And Bach is an excellent example. And we'll actually, a little later on the pod, we'll listen to some Bach um, to compare these things. But, but I had never actually thought about it through this lens of a big societal trend towards faster consumption of information. And Hannah, you were talking there about um, pop music and rap getting faster. And you have to imagine that, uh, in some sense, those are mirroring, these cultural trends are mirroring social trends, uh, that might be trends like what you mentioned, people's attention spans getting shorter and, uh, entertainment being more sensationalized and all these things. I'm curious for someone who's followed, um, you know, pop music more closely, uh, and, and I know you listen to a lot of different types of music. Is this something that you actually kind of like acutely observed in whatever type of music that, that you often listen to before you came to classical music that you felt like songs were, were getting faster? Or is this just something that, that this article alerted you to? I mean, I haven't been alive long enough to notice a, a long-term trend in the music industry, specifically in the pop industry. But I think generally, and I think anyone could probably uh, mention that, this as well, that you will notice how, you know, a pop, a popular pop song will become remixed sort of in a electro way, um, in a sense where there's a wildly popular pop song and then all of a sudden maybe like a month later Calvin Harris has collaborated with that that artist of that pop song and put a beat underneath it so it can it's suddenly club music so that's definitely something that has been blatantly obvious to me and um being around pop music during my life so I think entering into the classical music world I remember struggling, of course, as will a lot of newcomers to classical music and being able to focus. And I remember wondering during those difficulties of focusing during more slow tempo classical music and just besides the classical music itself, but ju just talking about the tempo, wondering, have I been conditioned to only have the attention span for fast-paced music. So I think that's definitely something that was on the forefront of my brain when I was first exposed more in depth to classical music. Um, so it's an, it's an interesting topic that I am very curious about exploring. Yeah, well, I think you pointed to something really interesting there, which is that classical music, uh, like, like, you know, genres of pop music too, there's there's pieces at every tempo, but especially earlier classical music that of Bach, who's mentioned in this in this uh, article, and 
Mozart, Haydn, they tended to write music in two or three general tempos with a lot of small modifications, but they're usually fast and slow movements and some movements that occur at kind of what a more moderate or walking speed. And the difference, the difference in listening to those two types of pieces, uh, couldn't be more more stark. I mean, I think a lot of people when they start listening to classical music gravitate towards the fast movements. I still do that today. I, I generally like faster movements of music more than slower movements. There's a ton of beautiful slow music in classical, in the classical genre, but it's something that I've just found about myself. I like listening to fast music. And I think you you mentioned something there, which is that most pop music, especially when it gets altered or remixed or whatever, is is fast. Um, and the same thing goes for length. I think that's a real challenge for people when they come to classical music is that you're expected to listen to like a 50-minute piece. But I remember I was reading this article by Gia Tolentino in The New Yorker about TikTok and about how TikTok is changing music. And she was talking about how uh, you know, music is being produced now to cater to things like TikTok. It's shorter, it's catchier beats that will work well in a six second video or whatever it might be. Um, and so it's possible that pop music also has been getting, I think it is the case that that most singles uh, are getting shorter as well. They're, they're probably an average of somewhere around three minutes now and you, you struggle to find something like I, one that comes to mind is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, which is like eight minutes long or something, a very long song. Um, and you don't, I, maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem to me that you you find those anymore. Um, and so it's it's a real trend. And I think looking at it in this lens of potentially being a societal trend towards towards receiving information more quickly, I think is very interesting. Now that brings me to kind of uh, uh, what the meat of our episode, and I want to discuss a little more the nitty gritty of how we listen to music of different tempos and what what we're actually doing there. And I think one of the big things going on is what we've talked about many times on our podcast, and indeed what one of our techniques is on this podcast, is thinking about music as a succession of ideas. And so our second technique is, is called hearing ideas. And um, if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd, I'd recommend you go do. That's one of our four fundamental techniques on the podcast. But the idea is to isolate individual musical ideas. And I think some people might might disagree on the finer points of, of this, this statement I'm about to make, but but I think the general idea holds, which is that music, like any other, like language, like uh, dance, any other potentially performed medium, is in some way a succession of a finite number of ideas. And so, you know, people think about music as this, it's kind of ongoing and it's hard to define where the ideas begin and end. And so I think some people don't really see it that way. But I think in some sense, we can think about music as like a succession of lines in a play and that the ideas are the words or the lines or something like that. And there's there's information there. It might not be uh, meaningful information in the same way that 
that words carry meaning, but it's a string of information. And so when we speed that up, it's like reading something more quickly or performing a dance more quickly. Our brains have to operate faster to perceive that same level of uh, content, you know. And and so I think what the thought process was for many conductors, performers 50 years ago was let's go really slowly so everyone can kind of sit in this space, appreciate each idea as it goes by. And, you know, maybe we'll spend 10 seconds in one general musical idea before we go on to the next. And I think now the idea is let's keep the ideas coming. Let's let's uh, not allow any space for boredom. But right when you hear something, something else comes. This is not necessarily so much of a meditative experience where we sit in this musical space, but instead it's like, it's almost like what we do when we watch Netflix, where you also have another tab open and the the second there's a lull in the show, you check your phone or whatever, because you, you have this constant flow of information. And so I'm thinking that we should listen to some music with that in mind. And uh, Hannah, I'm curious to get your impressions of these pieces at different tempos, both kind of your experience of what I just described, which is, you know, a slowing versus a speeding up of, of content, um, but also just the different character that might be evoked by a slower or a faster tempo. But I actually think instead of talking about it abstractly, we'll be able to see some of the really interesting differences and and uh, kind of not only musical differences, but differences in listening experience when we listen to these actual clips of music at two different tempi. So Hannah, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different from what we normally do on this podcast. Kind of split your brain if you can for me and Listen partially just for the emotion, if you want to call it that, the general kind of sense of the music that you get like we often do. You know, what what kind of adjectives is this bringing up for you and what kind of character uh, is this is this music evoking? But also, if you can save 50 percent of your your mental energy or space to observe your own kind of do a a meditation style mindfulness exercise remove yourself from your own brain and try to observe your own brain listening to this music and see what your experience is like you know is one does one feel more boring than another one does one feel more exciting than another one are you drawn to certain things in one versus the other because I'm curious for the purposes of this podcast specifically, what your experience is like listening to slower versus faster music and, and if that feels any difference in these two clips. So I'm asking you to do a lot here, but, uh, but if, if you need, we can always go back and do multiple listens um, and our listeners can do the same just, just by rewinding and, and listening to these things a few times. But I'll encourage all of our listeners to do the same along with Hannah. Listen to these two contrasting clips um, and uh, let's just see what your experience is like. So we'll listen to one to begin. And since this article started with Bach, let's listen to some Bach. 
And this is a very slow rendition of Bach's third orchestral suite. We'll just listen to the beginning. But Hannah, I'm curious to get your impressions on this one and, and how it feels to listen. And then once you do that, we'll come back and listen to a faster version. So here's the uh, beginning of Bach's orchestral suite number three, slow version. So initial impressions on that on that first slow recording of, of Bach? Yeah, it feels um, very grand and jubilant. I feel like I would like to, I could see it, you know, played, I don't know, live or even on a movie of, it, I thought of like a graduation ceremony and that might be because of some personal stuff that I'm going through right now, but um, it, it just felt very achievement focused. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's great. Certainly. Um, I actually see it now that you mentioned it, it sounds kind of graduation like or yeah. and circumstance like, um, definitely grand and majestic. And also, I mean, it's just a short clip, but any initial thoughts on your experience listening to the clip? I know we're, we're kind of doing this in an isolated fashion, and so you don't have to listen to all eight minutes of this piece right now. But how did it, how did the tempo maybe feel to you? It was definitely consumable for me. I wasn't, um, you know, impatiently waiting for the next idea to come up. Um, yeah, I would just say it was consumable. Yeah, I think one of the benefits we will see of of taking slower tempi is that it affords the listener more time to hear details. And this is something I'm actually thinking about right now as I finally start to prepare for some real live performances again, which, which are coming up. Um, but this idea of what tempo should I actually take because I've got these ideas that I want to make sure the audience hears, but at the same time, I want it to be exciting and fast and, and, uh, all those, all those great things. So in any case, it's, it's a choice that someone has to make, but the slower tempo affords more opportunity to listen for detail. So in any case, let's listen to the faster one now, and this will be illuminating because I'm curious to hear the difference, not only in the character that you hear, because I'm sure you'll hear a big character difference, but also in your experience of listening to this this piece. And I'm looking at it, I mean, this is, it, it, it's an incredible tempo difference. It's, it's maybe not quite twice as fast, but almost. I mean, it's just so much faster than the recording we just heard. And 
let's listen and, and see what, what your impressions are of, of this faster clip of Bach orchestral suite number three. So Hannah, impressions of the second one, way faster, certainly, but, but what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it definitely still um, maintained the grandness, the grandeur of the prior clip. It's still the same piece, it's just faster. And I think, I guess I have changed since initially listening to um, classical music uh, more on a consistent level and a fact where I preferred the slow one because I was able to absorb what was going on. Um, and this one, I just felt almost frantic to catch, like catch everything. You know, that's, that's so interesting. And I think this is something I've been thinking about and let's, let's continue to experiment with our other clips because I'm curious to to see if you feel the same way about the other ones, but it's, you know, the, the, the standard kind of general stereotype is that older musicians prefer slower tempos. Um, and I think the, the, you know, we're quick to, to say as young musicians, we're quick to say, Oh, the older people are lower energy and, you know, they just don't want to go as fast and they like taking their time with everything from an older generation. Um, but I think you start, I see myself kind of going through this, this cycle, if you will, with pieces that you start to know so well, where when you hear a piece for the first time, uh, like, you know, I, I don't know if this is your first time hearing this this Bach piece, but you probably haven't heard it a hundred times. Um, and this piece, which I've heard probably a hundred times, you know, I prefer it much faster because I probably don't need that same amount of time to hear details in a way because I know them. And so what I like, the the first one, the slow one, feels very boring because it's like, all right, I know what's coming next. Why do I have to wait so long for it? And the second clip, the faster one, it, it's much more energizing in a visceral way. It's exciting and it's fun to listen to and it gives me joy because it's fast and upbeat. And, and so I find myself consistently preferring super fast tempos with pieces that I know. But then it, there comes a moment when you've heard a piece so many times, maybe the a thousandth time or something, where you go back and you start, you know, you're so familiar with kind of every detail of this piece and you know it so well that you start wanting to hear those details. And so maybe I shouldn't be saying this because I'm only 28 years old and I have a long way to go, but I think I've seen that in myself with some of the pieces that I know best that actually... I've gone through this phase of learning them and then just listening to them over and over and kind of wanting them faster and faster. And now it's back to the phase of, well, there's so many intricate details and I want to hear what this performer does here. 
And so I found myself kind of slowing down again. And I think it's it's really interesting. I think uh, a big theory that I have about this this whole phenomenon is that how many times you've listened to a piece really affects the tempo that you prefer it at. Because if you know what's coming, then you kind of want it to come faster. Um, in any case, it's kind of the same like if you rewatch The Office for the ninth time, you're usually doing something else at the same time. You're not sitting down and watching an entire Office episode and only doing that when you've seen it nine times because you kind of already know what's what's coming. So in any case, let's let's keep experimenting because that's fascinating that you you preferred the slow one because for me, I'll tell, I, I, the slow one for me in this clip is literally like unlistenable. I, I can't stand that recording and I like the faster one so much more and it's like this is it's like painful for me to listen to. But uh, let's see your choice on some some of these other ones. So the next um, the next one we have is a really fast one, a really fast piece. And I'm curious to get your impression on this one. First, we'll listen to a slightly slower version of this really, really fast piece. And then we'll listen to a very, very fast version of, of the same piece. So this is Beethoven's Eighth Symphony, the last movement. And first, we'll listen to a slower version of this piece. So initial impressions of, of that one? It was so fun. It was so um, animated, I would say. It just felt as if, I don't know, I were out in nature and there were just so so many like wonderful things happening around me. But for my ability to observe my mindfulness and how uh, the ability of my attentiveness to listen to it. Yeah, I was able to to grasp it and not feel completely overwhelmed. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. Okay, well, let's let's see the second one. It's it's so interesting for me to hear these because you're you're totally right on all accounts. I mean, this isn't a highly animated piece, but from my own frame of reference knowing this piece, it's almost like I take that as a given when I go in. And so when I hear this slower tempo, it feels to me kind of lethargic or something like that. But in reality, it's it's not at all. I mean, the character is still there. But in any case, now I want you to hear the, the fast version, which will uh, probably blow your socks off with the speed. But here is, here is our second version of Beethoven Symphony Number no. 8, uh, faster version.
right. So impressions of that one in, in comparison to the, the first clip? Wow. It really like f- grabs you and forces you to pay attention, in my opinion, that like the... I'm going to use like a musical term that you would normally use. <laughs> That's not normally a term that I would use, but the dynamics of it, uh-huh. the the variances between like the loudness and the softness, there was just a really loud moment that just sort of like startled me and made me be like, oh, pay attention. Uh-huh. So, wow. Gosh, I really love, I think I like this one better. Interesting. Yeah. I like, so, so I like that you're using the term dynamics. I also, (laughs) so we've got one slow and one fast for you now. So this is, this is interesting. Um, I'm curious also your reactions to this idea, which is that the first clip, um, was, was by a conductor who, who generally just takes very slow tempi. The second clip is pretty much the fastest recording that, I know of at least of, of kind of famous recordings of this piece that exists out there. And it's part of a Beethoven cycle done by David Zinman and the Tonehalle Orchestra, where he attempted to respect all of Beethoven's original tempo markings. And so that's actually Beethoven's speed that he specified for this piece is the second one. Blazingly fast. Um, and I'm curious, just, just your thoughts on, on that, Hannah, that, you know, someone from the 1800s specified this blazingly fast tempo as opposed to the slow one. Is that what you would have expected? No. Um, I think (laughs) it is probably, uh, I can't think of the right word, but I think it's probably just assumed that, um, you know, writers, composers of, you know, the 18th, 17th, 19th century would have been choosing slower tempis because of the assumptions that a lot of people have that classical music is boring. Yet I will now be the first one to argue with anyone who says that, that it is not boring, that it is wildly dynamic. Oh, I used that word twice in one podcast. Um, <laughs> we like that, though. You used it the first time in, in the correct terminological <laughs> setting, so that was fantastic. I'm going to try really hard to maintain my unsnobbiness towards classical music, but I will throw out the term dynamic good, when, good. when it there suits you go. me. I like it. I have a question. Like, how... How do you know exactly the tempi that Beethoven meant if he's not here anymore? Like you could just write down a tempi and I don't know. How do you how do you know? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um a lot of tempo choices are really challenging because a lot of composers especially pre, you know, 1850, 1880, 1900 were writing uh, just Italian words for tempo, like allegro, which means fast. And so you're left wondering, okay, how fast? Um, In the case of Beethoven, and this is something that's hotly disputed among musicians and music scholars as to Beethoven's actual tempi, but in the case of Beethoven, his symphonies have metronome marks. So he actually specified with a metronome, the tempos that he wanted. 
Now, the metronome was being invented right around the time that Beethoven was composing. In fact, this symphony, the Eighth Symphony, the second movement, has is a, essentially an homage to the metronome. The music is supposed to sound like a metronome keeping time. So a lot of Beethoven's tempi, we think, may have been dictated after he uh, wrote these pieces. So he wrote a lot of them and then went back later and wrote, uh, gave tempo markings. Now, Beethoven also was, of course, very notoriously deaf, and some people see him as this kind of crazy hermit late in his life who retreated into kind of mystery and he, he's shrouded with this veil of kind of tortured genius, slight insanity. Um, and so some people have brought into question, you know, how accurate are these tempo markings actually? They might have been dictated later. But in any case, they they tend to, there are a few exceptions where some are marked actually much slower. For example, your your beloved Seventh Symphony that you've talked about many times on this podcast, the last movement that uh, the tempo marking that Beethoven gave us was actually way slower than you might expect. Um, but in this case, it's blazingly fast. And so that's how we know in the case of Beethoven. It's it's really hard to know in a lot of other cases because all you're given is is fast, but you kind of go based off of what you know about the composer's general tempo indications and how other pieces that are similar are marked and how they sound at various tempi. So it's always a question um, for interpretation. But in the case of Beethoven, you know, th- there's a very specific tempo marking and it's, it's the second one. And I think what you said there is really interesting, which is that people would probably assume that most classical composers, especially the older ones, would have written slow tempi and we've just kind of trended towards faster stuff uh, over the course of history, but that's actually not the case. And I don't exactly know what to make of that, but but it's certainly interesting. So let's do one more because we've talked about also the phenomenon of slow music on this, this particular podcast and slow classical music and if that's a different listening experience. So let's listen to, to two slow movements now or or two renditions of the same slow movement of a piece and I'm curious because the difference in tempo is going to be about the same percentage wise as what we just heard Um, but I'm curious to get your impressions of how these feel different as opposed to the fast ones if if that if that percentage change feels like more or less and just your general reflections on these two. So here's the first one. Here's the slower rendition of a slow movement. This is Brahms' first symphony, second movement. Um, so here's the our slower version of this piece.
All right. So initial impressions of, of that first one, the slower clip. Um, for the sake of this practice, I tried to just jump right into the clip clip rather than sort of clearing my mind. And I did notice that like, because of the slower tempi, it was more difficult for me to pay attention. Um, and in a sense for the, the practice of this discussion. So that was a huge um, observation that I made. But beyond that, beautiful. I thought it was so, it was like despair and romance and just, I don't know, I would love to see it live when we're able to see things live. Yeah. And, well, and it, I'm curious what the, the faster tempi will sound like. Well, let's listen to it. Here we go. Here's Here's our second clip. And this is a significantly faster version of the same clip but I'm, I'm also curious to get your your impression of how much faster you feel like this sounds and and compared to to our other two examples if the difference feels greater smaller um so let's listen to the faster of these two clips So what's your thought on, on that one? Just, just general impressions of your, the difference in listening to the two of them and also if, if the character of the music changed at all. The character for this one definitely changed, I think more so than the other two that we have listened to thus far. And um, that it felt, it still had the general qualities as the first listen of being a little bit romantic and there's elements of despair, but this one felt like there were elements of comfort as well, um, in this listen. So, and I think it guided the, the tempo guided me along. It sort of just, you know, pulled me in the correct direction. Um, but again, that was because I went in sort of, I, I dove wrote right into the, into the clip. I didn't clear my mind. I went straight into it just to get a gauge as to what my brain, uh, how my brain would react to it. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And what was your thought on the, the, the difference in the tempos of these clips? Did they feel very different? Uh, like, I, I compare them to the Beethoven where, mm. you know, one, I think for me at least felt super fast and the other only felt somewhat fast. How did the the difference feel? They felt more like, you know, twins rather than like siblings for the Beethoven, if that makes sense. In in a sense, we're like unidentical twins, if that makes sense. 
That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and I, I think that was my impression listening. You know, when you look at the timestamps of how long these clips are, the the percentage difference is about the same. But but the Beethoven for me just had a much uh, more jarring uh, mm. difference because it's just like so fast versus and and both of these felt like they were generally slow tempi. But I think what you said was great. The the tempo of the second one kind of pulls you along because it feels much more in motion or something like that. And and I'm surprised to hear that that you felt like the the character changed more in in this last one. Did you have one that you you voted so far one for the slow and one for the fast tempo? Did you have one that you preferred on this on this final clip? Well, today I think I would prefer the slow just based on the general mood that I'm in today right now <laughs> at this moment. Um, but I thought both were lovely. I mean, tell me more about the two clips. Like when were the two clips recorded and what I think, I guess my question is as a conductor, how much decision-making, I think we've talked about like the decision-making that a conductor um, puts into what the tempo was going to be for the performance. But I'm very curious as to a conductor's personal opinion of what the piece should sound like. And then also if he or she thinks about what is best for the audience. Yeah. You know, I think that's a real, that's a real struggle because that's one of the fundamental kind of philosophical questions of conducting is, should you try to get a performance that sounds exactly like you want it to sound or like the composer wished it to sound or like the audience in 2021 will most appreciate, enjoy it? Um, Is that the tempo that you're aiming for? And, uh, you know, I don't claim to have any profound answers to that question. Um, I think it's kind of been somewhat answered for us by the proliferation of recordings because I think now that recordings exist, you know, a million recordings exist of every famous piece like this, it's actually freeing in, in a way because it, it makes your mission as, a, as one individual conductor a little more clear, at least for me, because... If someone wants to listen to a slow version of this piece because they like that, that exists at the touch of a button. And so I think what is encouraged by the current climate that we live in is individuality and performance. And so to that end, I kind of think about, to be honest, what would I like and and what what is my unique musicianship impelling me to do in this moment? And so... Um, that's generally how I choose Tempe. Now, of course, there's a, there's a separate question of how much should I honor what the composer intended. And I usually fall very much on the side of the composer in these questions that we should only break from a composer when we have a real, um, legitimate thought through and kind of provable or evidence-based reason why we're doing so. But but yeah, I think it's a really interesting question of how much should we cater to trends of the time and how much should we uh, do what we want. Or what, but, but in doing this episode, one of the most interesting things that I've found is that 
I'm actually now thinking of myself as a unique musician and someone who forms my own interpretation of pieces as much more it's it's weird to talk about myself in, in like the third person or whatever. This sounds like a wildly egotistical thing to say, but I assure you, hopefully it's it's not. It's just self-observation. But um I think of myself kind of as a product of uh, you know, every uh, all of my experiences being a millennial, growing up with uh, with Netflix and Instagram and Facebook and all of that. You know, I'm thinking about how that actually affects my musical preferences, and maybe that's more of the reason why I prefer these fast tempi and not just that I lean towards more historically informed performance. And I actually think that's neither a good or a bad thing. It just serves to maybe my music making is better suited to an audience of millennials and that's something that you know my generation uh, might appreciate listening to my and other millennials conducting more than than a previous generation or something like that um and that's maybe neither good nor bad but i just think this conversation about why tempos are the way that they are and these trends occur has kind of clued me into that and so i find it very interesting so Hannah, I want to thank you for uh, for sending me this article. It's actually, in a way, it's it's uh, you know, it's not like a particularly scholarly classical music article or anything like that. But it's it's one of the more interesting things that I've read in a while, just because of the the thoughts that it kind of set off for me and this new way of looking at at why classical music might be getting fact faster. So. Any uh, kind of closing thoughts, takeaways that you have from either reading this article or just the discussion that we've had today? Yeah, I think in general, and from this discussion, I have sort of noticed that I, even based on my pop music listening, and during this time, I think especially, I trend towards slower paced, which is a juxtaposition of our generation. And... Like I think of some of my favorite memories of um, li- the live performances that we got to be a part of at the ISO, and I think maybe you might remember this when Garrick Olson did his encore. I I can't remember what um, his concerto piece was. It might have been during the Rachmaninoff. It was. It was during um, the Rachmaninoff. Yeah. Yes, he did Claire de Lune, and he. The tempo was so slow, but to the point of he savored every note. That was probably one of like the most good visceral experiences that I had. Um, that was, you know, it's so you know, it's so interesting about that is that every person I've talked to, I don't know what it was about that performance. I wish I could have captured that so accurately in my mind. That was electric in every yes. sense of the word. I mean, it was just spellbinding and it was the most remarkable. And <laughs> this is after Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto and uh, this, like two hours of music. There was something about that that was electric. And it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, you and I both and everybody else I've talked to just love that. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, no, great. I mean, I'm so glad that you also remembered that experience because I don't think I'll ever forget it. It was just remarkable after a whole weekend of doing all of Rachmaninoff's piano concerti. So I would just say to the listener, like, allow yourself to explore what feels good and 
you know, seek those incredible moments that, you know, you and I were so privileged to enjoy. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I also would just encourage our listeners to listen to multiple renditions of the same pieces uh, to to get this experience of, of listening at different tempi. I mean, that's one great thing about classical music that isn't always afforded to to pop music. I mean, what, one difference that we haven't mentioned until these closing minutes of the podcast, but between pop and classical is that the trend of pop music getting faster is from song to song, from artist to artist. In classical music, uh, it's getting faster with the same pieces, you know, just faster performances. And so you can hear two pieces at two different tempi and that that opens a whole world of, of potential new meaning and, and one that you might like better than the, the other and that might change over the course of time. So, so think about tempo, think about your own relationship to how fast you like perceiving uh, musical information. There's no right or wrong answer, certainly, but I think this opens up a whole, uh, you know, new world of, of, of meaningful interpretation to be had uh, when listening to classical music, because any famous piece that you're familiar with, you can find recordings uh, of a bunch of different tempi. So with that, it's been a really interesting discussion for me. I'm going to go back and, and reconsider all of my tempo choices for the upcoming concerts that I have. Um, so Hannah, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, and to all of our listeners as well. Thanks, thanks for joining us as always. We will be back soon again. Stay safe and healthy in the meantime, and uh, we'll, we'll see you again soon.